earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's part four in our This Means War series. We're continuing our sober look at spiritual warfare and preparing a spiritual warfare primer. And remember, the podcasts may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today, our fourth installment is called Truth or Consequences, and we'll continue expanding on the believer's weaponry, elaborated on by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. But before we get to that, imagine for a moment, friends, that you've stepped into the time tunnel. If you're a baby boomer like me, you may remember this sci-fi TV series from the mid-1960s, where two Scientists enter a specially developed tunnel that sends them back in time. So imagine you've been transported back to the year 1978. And you're sitting in a church service. The pastor announces that next week they're hosting a special conference with a former Satanist who has been miraculously transformed by the power of the gospel. You can hardly believe your ears. This is just what you've been waiting for. For months you've tried to convince your neighbor friend who dabbles in the occult that Satanism is dangerous. But your efforts have proved unsuccessful. After the service, you rush home and invite your neighbor to join you next week in church. Your neighbor has labeled you a naive fundamentalist, but this time he won't be able to say that about a genuine ex-Satanist. Well, next Sunday couldn't come faster, but there you are, sitting in church with your neighbor. The introduction is made. A former Satanist, John Todd, a courier for the Satanic Ruling Council, the Illuminati, is here. Only now he's a brother in Christ, free from the shackles of Satan's power. Todd begins his message with a bang. According to him, few people realize how powerful and widespread Satanism actually is, and how it's even gained traction through movies such as The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, and that these are just the tip of the insidious iceberg. Todd's on a roll now, sharing how the real danger lies in a carefully crafted cartel incorporating police, politicians, and even pastors who are secretly engaged in a special kind of deception advancing the satanic agenda, an agenda that has propelled Satanism into the very seats of power as well as into the sanctuaries of religion. After all, this guy ought to know. As a former courier for the Illuminati, he personally made payoffs to dozens of prominent people, including Christian leaders. No organization, not even the church, is immune from infiltration. 
Immediately your mind begins recalling that TV evangelist you watched last night who was pleading for money. Or perhaps your mind drifted to that Mormon bishop who chairs your community's ecumenical council. But your mind is jolted back to reality as you hear Todd mention Pastor Chuck Smith. Oh, no, not Chuck Smith. He founded the Calvary Chapel movement. He can't possibly be a Satanist. Well, the message goes on. Chuck Smith has been strategically situated by Satan to seduce young people by imprisoning their minds through mainstream melodies sung to deceptively innocent lyrics that actually mask subliminal satanic messages. You just can't believe what you're hearing. In fact, you refuse to believe that one of the catalysts for the Jesus movement is in reality a pawn in the hands of the devil? As though anticipating your thoughts, Todd then reveals to the congregation that Satan seldom chooses obvious candidates for his deadly deceptions because he knows they won't be believed. Rather, as Todd asserts, Satan uses those noted for their sincere faith and honesty. Besides, Todd knows firsthand, after all, he was there. And during his courier days for the Illuminati, he personally delivered $8 million to Chuck Smith with these instructions, start Maranatha music and use it to pervert the minds of unsuspecting converts. By this point, you're finding all this very hard to swallow. How could anyone who names the name of Christ so blatantly betray his Lord? but Todd has come with a ready answer for everything. He goes on to say that Judas betrayed Jesus for only 30 pieces of silver. <clears throat> Why would it be so far-fetched for Chuck Smith to betray Christ for $8 million? Well, you nervously glance at your neighbor, but to your surprise, he doesn't appear the least bit skeptical. His eyes are riveted on John Todd. To close out his message, Todd gives an altar call, and your neighbor bolts to the altar without hesitation and gives his heart to the Lord. Whatever doubts you were entertaining, quickly vaporize. Todd must be right. After all, look at the fruit. Well, friends, let's fast forward in time, now to the year 2005. John Todd is no longer in demand as a speaker. His popularity has disintegrated. Todd has plunged from pulpit to prison. He's now a convicted felon and an exposed deceiver. And what about your neighbor, friend? Sadly, his faith was short-lived. The last time you ran into him, he shoved a newspaper article in your face, the one announcing Todd's conviction. And you had to listen to his rant. Why should I follow your Christ? You Christians are all alike. If truth was really on your side, you wouldn't have to concoct stories to scare people into believing. Hmm, if truth was really on your side... Friends, that admission of disillusionment really hit home for me, because, friends, everything we believe in as Christ followers, everything we place our hope in, ultimately boils down to a single issue, doesn't it? It boils down to the question of truth. So does absolute truth really exist? In fact, is there an undisputed source of absolute truth? Or should we just settle for and be content with the idea, what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me? Should we even go so far as to embrace that what's true for me must stay with me? 
You know, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. In our generation, Christ followers are now being told we're no longer entitled to or justified in telling others that our truth is for them too. Let's go one step further. Our truth is no longer valid for the entire world. If truth was really on your side. Hmm, friends, I propose to you that truth is really on our side. That's why it's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul, in identifying the armor of God, or what I like to call the warfare wardrobe, in other words, the Christian spiritual weaponry, lists the first weapon as the belt of truth. Even Carl Jung, early 20th century Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist, said, Our world is so exceedingly rich in delusions that a truth is priceless. In studying church history, I found it interesting that the early evangelical Quakers had a rich heritage of promoting and defending the truth. In 1647, Quaker founder George Fox had a personal spiritual awakening, and during those budding years, small clusters of believers who looked to Fox as their mentor began calling themselves Friends of Truth. Early on, Fox himself even considered preaching to be declaring the everlasting truth, as he recorded in his journal. In the mid-1650s, an early group of Quakers sensed the urgency to evangelize all segments of England. This one group later became known as First Publishers of Truth. This nickname was then shortened to Publishers of Truth. It's interesting because they eventually literally became publishers by printing and distributing what they called pamphlets and used them to tell people near and far the truth of the gospel message. You see, friends, the practical application to life of knowing and believing the truth is practicing it in one of the most difficult areas of human communication, our speech. And the Apostle Paul boldly declares that practicing the truth is one facet of spiritual warfare. Let's rehearse Ephesians six ten through 20. I'm going to read from a more modern language translation I enjoy reading from time to time. Finally, brothers and sisters, draw your strength and might from God. Put on the full armor of God, or the Lord's warfare wardrobe, as I like to call it, to protect yourselves from the devil and his evil schemes. We're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world, and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in heavenly places. And this is why you need to be head to toe in the full armor of God so you can resist during these evil days and be fully prepared to hold on your, to your ground. Yes, stand, truth, banded around your waist, or as one messianic translation says, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. Righteousness as your chest plate and feet protected in preparation to proclaim the good news of peace. Don't forget to raise the shield of faith above all else so that you will be able to extinguish flaming spears hurled at you or flaming arrows from the wicked one. 
Take also the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray always. Pray in the Spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. And keeping all this in mind, pray on behalf of God's people. Keep on praying feverishly and be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. And please pray for me. Pray that truth will be with me before I even open my mouth. Ask the Spirit to guide me while I boldly defend the mystery that is the good news, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So pray that I can bravely proclaim the truth as I should. Friends, notice how Paul begins his list of the Christ followers' warfare wardrobe, not with the head, but with the waist, not from the top down, but from the middle. And the armor begins with truth, the belt of truth around one's waist, the physical and visible center of one's being. Paul understood the real issue, because the real issue is where the battle lines are drawn. The devil is the master of falsehood. After all, he's the ultimate liar and the father of lies, right? Recall Jesus' brush with the Pharisees in John's Gospel, chapter 8, where the discussion centered around truth. Jesus said to those Jews who were believing in him, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, friends, i got to stop here for a moment, because this is probably one of the most misinterpreted and misapplied verses in the New Testament. And here's where the Jewish cultural religious backstory helps us properly interpret this verse. The first and key question we must ask here is, just what were the first century Jews who believed in Jesus set free from? And the second key question will be, what had they originally grown up learning? And from who? Friends, the answer to both questions is this. Between the Old Testament book of Malachi and the New Testament book of Matthew, a period of some 400 years, the Jewish religious leaders we know as the Pharisees and Sadducees arose and came to prominence and power. They subtly and strategically co-opted the Jewish religion of faith and converted it into a religion of rules, regulations, and laws so as to maintain their religious power base over the people. To them, Jesus was bucking the system. One of Jesus' goals was to dismantle this power structure that had been entrenched in Jewish society when he showed up in the first century Greco-Roman world. Jesus had to peel back so many layers of the religious onion, so to speak, and reestablish the fact that God the Father always wanted a relationship with his people. But the Jewish religious leaders, I call them the JRL for short, sucked out the relationship part and replaced it with rules and regulations that made it easier for them to judge the spirituality of the people. So the correct and contextual interpretation of John 8.31 is, Jewish believers in Jesus were now set free from the ritual and ceremonial observations of the Mosaic law that they originally learned gained them acceptance with God. So this is the truth that set them free. Friends, can you see now why Jesus had to say to these religious power brokers ruling over Israel, You belong to your father, the devil. 
and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Friends, when will we realize that the first duty of the devil is to plant seeds of doubt in God's absolute truth, in effect perpetuating his attack on truth that began in the garden with Eve? Genesis 3.1 puts his crafty question like this, Did God really say? The late Billy Graham once wrote, It is contrary to reason for a thirsty person to turn from a pure, sparkling mountain stream to quench his thirst at a stale, putrid cistern. Yet that is what the human race does when it rejects God's truth and standards in favor of the devil's impure philosophies. Well, friends, let's fast forward from the Genesis account of the devil to a scene just before the crucifixion of Jesus, that scene being Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. The spiritual sparks are flying because this is the JRL's last-ditch effort to get the Roman authorities to authorize capital punishment. Crucifixion, in other words, for Jesus. So picture the scene. Pilate represents the authority and might of Rome. And Jesus represents a supposed seditionist. The JRL have worked overtime to get the Roman officials to believe Jesus was attempting to overthrow the Roman government by setting himself up as its king. The backstory is found in John 18. Pilate asks Jesus, What is it you have done? Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, meaning the JRL. Pilate blurts out, You are a king then! Can't you just hear him saying, Aha! Jesus responds, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Notice, friends, Jesus makes it clear that there is the truth, absolute truth, if you will, and there's an undisputed source of absolute truth. Then Jesus continues, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Friends, it is that black and white. Either we are on the side of truth, incarnationally represented in the person of Jesus Christ, or we're on the side of falsehood, the lie, if you will, incarnationally represented in the person of Satan. Jesus is truth incarnate, and the devil is falsehood incarnate. Jesus is the truth. Satan is the lie. Well, don't you find it interesting how Pilate answers Jesus' statement, everyone on the side of truth listens to me? Pilate responds with the question of the ages, friends. What is truth? It's high time we see that Pilate's question is just the old lie of Genesis 3, did God really say? Repackaged for the first century consumption. What is truth? You see, friends, one of the devil's schemes in casting doubt on God's absolute truth is to make truth itself relative. And the practical result for 21st century consumption has been the label moral relativism, which says that each person has the right to decide what truth is and what to believe and follow. Over the years, that and another expression, situation ethics, have gone back and forth. 
Both, however, simply communicate that there's really no absolute right and wrong in any given situation. In other words, no absolutely truthful answer. So we each must decide what we feel is right in any situation. Then that becomes right for us. Friends, now more than ever, in this fierce battle against the absolute truths of God as revealed in his word, the Bible, we Christ followers must buckle the belt of truth around our waists. A slogan from a prior generation coined by American Express Traveler's Checks is still relevant. Don't leave home without it. If we leave home without the belt of truth, our spiritual pants, so to speak, will fall down. In other words, we'll leave our minds open to the subtle deceptions and distortions the devil whispers to us. He and his demon cohorts are constantly whispering, Did God really say to us? And before we know it, we end up parroting Pilate's question, What is truth? How aware are we, friends, that the triune Godhead is all about truth, preserving, promoting, and protecting it. Consider the Psalms. At least 11 times we find a reference to God's truth, one being Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. When Jesus comes on the scene, John's gospel says of him, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And who can forget Jesus' own words in John fourteen six that he was the truth? And when Jesus mentions the coming Holy Spirit, he tells his disciples, But when he... The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Interestingly, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 includes these words, I have given them, his disciples, your word, God's word. I do not ask you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it's becoming clear that the devil's schemes in relation to truth include casting doubt on God's word or absolute truth. Did God really say? And then by default, he makes truth relevant by instilling Pilate's words in us. What is truth? So then, God's word itself is now called into question. Oh, but we don't see the Bible being called into question in our day, do we? Not only by secularists, but now even from within the hallowed halls of seminaries. As Christ followers in this fierce spiritual war, we're not only to buckle truth around our waist, signifying that truth is to be central in all we say and do, but we're also to battle for the truth. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 5 unveil to us by their original word choices that we are to forcibly tear down and destroy worldly reasonings that stand against and exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Therefore they become to us false arguments that counter the truth of God. And so, friends, putting on truth, wrapping ourselves with the belt of truth, means committing ourselves to putting off sham and hypocrisy. 
Mere religious talk is like a loose hanging garment. In the first century Greco-Roman world, a belt was used to gather up and tie the skirt, sort of like a kilt, so it wouldn't interfere with serious work or fighting an enemy. Our loose hanging garments of hypocrisy actually get in the way of us doing what God wants us to do. Buckling on the belt of truth may be a bit painful at first. It symbolically represents that our religious insincerities and shams are no longer hanging around, pun intended, and getting in the way of serving God. Ephesians 4.25 says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. And Isaiah said about God, Righteousness will be his belt, and truth the sash around his waist. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. A listener recently wrote in regarding the last installment in this new series, Part 3, Are We Dressed to Kill? with May We Always Be Prepared for the Work to Be Done. I love the analogy with the toolbox. We put on the armor and go forth to fight the battle. Thank you for that encouraging feedback. Keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So please join the support team. Your faithful support keeps this program on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.